Network automation takes a variety of forms from individual scripts that handle specific tasks to workflows that have to be orchestrated across multiple devices and systems. Uh, today on the Tech Bytes podcast, we talk with sponsor Pliant about its automation platform. Pliant helps you orchestrate across devices and domains with a low-code approach that uses APIs to automate and orchestrate across your infrastructure. Our guests to introduce us to Pliant and what it can do for your network automation initiatives are Philippe Vincent, CEO, and Dave Hegenbarth, VP of Sales Engineering. Uh, Philippe and Dave, welcome to the podcast. And Philippe, can you start us off with the elevator pitch on Pliant and what you do? The first challenge that uh, uh, Pliant helps you address, I think uh, the, the main challenge to automating network operations is really about solving the problem of uh, bringing coding knowledge and comp competency into uh, into the network engineering discipline. We just saw that that network automation forum. That's really one of the one of the key challenges. Now, Pliant itself is essentially an integrated development environment for engineers. Uh, it's there to make it simpler for and faster and more productive for engineers to, to build automation code and integration code. And the way we do that, some of the things you just mentioned, we're low code. So uh, users drag and drop uh, and they connect function blocks in our product, which means they can focus on the, the business logic or the, the logic of their workflows as opposed to the syntax. Uh, we're also API first, which means our preferred method for connecting and controlling uh, network environment is through APIs. And every API that our customers may need is fully represented in our product. So they drag mm -hmm. and drop that into their um, their workflow environment. So that sounds like a really modern approach. What we're seeing then is that Pliant is taking the API first, low code, that most of the software that you use is the same across all networks but it's the business usage of the technology that varies between customers. Is that a fair statement? Yes, we want to uh, bring our customers' environment at their fingertip in our development environment so that they can, they can build the code they need and their well is entirely supported in our product. I mean, it's, it's all well and good to be, you know, finger banging the keyboard to get your Python scripts just right, but sometimes you've just got to get the job done and using a, a you know, set of tools to do that for you is way more efficient. Um, Dave, did I get that right as well? You did. We designed the product really to allow people to accelerate that automation journey without having to have deep development skills. And that's all why it's wrapped around low code, no code. Yeah, a lot of network engineers are uncomfortable about uh, coding. So can you say more about what low code actually means? How much coding is actually involved in using client? Yeah. So you have to have a certain understanding of a, a basic programming skills, like what variables do, what loops and, and if statements and evaluations are. But we take away having to understand the complex syntax of Python or Node.js. And even uh, we make it simpler than the YAML you would find in Ansible playbooks. You simply are dragging and dropping a series of steps to make the automation possible. I think this also, you know, this idea that APIs work, but each vendor has their own APIs, but all the APIs do the same thing. So having someone manage the APIs for you and reduce them to the same thing gets a repeatability about consuming the APIs? It does. It also it relieves them of the task of making sure they have the most current API and mm. the platform right. is self-documenting. So they bring we bring the API documentation along with it. If you're writing scripts, you'd have to go find that somewhere in the internet. Yeah, and I think that API management aspect is key because if you are using APIs to do your automation, trying to keep up with any changes or new APIs uh, across a variety of devices could be a real pain. It is, and I want to make sure that our, our listeners understand it's not just APIs. We do support legacy SSH and Telnet because there are those legacy devices that 
don't have APIs, and we mm-hmm. don't want to leave those out. I just call SSH an API. It's a CLI API. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't we can't say it's not an API because it is. In a, but it's not an efficient API. It's not a a, a a performant API, and it's not a reliable API compared to you know the other types of you know the REST or you know whatever SOAP or YAML or so forth that we're using. So it's but it's what we use. It's sometimes it's the only way we've got to use. So we need to be able to support that. Absolutely right. I mean, one of our best use cases is device lifecycle management, and that breaks down into day zero or day one. Um, day zero, we support you know not only SSH but NetMiko, things like Napalm, and we also support things like Jinja templates, right? So I, I need there's always going to be day zero differences. Management IP is different, VLAN might be different, but the golden config, that config you want to distribute repeatedly to every site, is going to be the same, and we support that. And we make it easy to build out those sorts of workflows to do that. Okay, so let's then dive into a use case. And I guess since you brought up uh, device management, device provisioning, can you talk about you know how I would use Pliant to do things like my day zero provisioning and then going into day one and day two? Absolutely. Without a visual, it's a little tough, but the, we have these drag and drop blocks we build to help you do that, right? So the, all those steps that you're going to do around validating the device has the right IP address, right? whether it has the right version of code, all the things you might want pre-deployment uh, uh, we're able to pull those into a series of visually attractive blocks um, that allow you to do those steps. So you've actually got an, it sounds like you said this attractive block. So this actually sounds a bit like an IDE, an integrated development environment where I'm actually going in and a lot of the capability, like the documentation, the visual interface and all that sort of stuff is actually prepared or optimized for me. Absolutely. A lot of times when I, I present this to developers who have been coding all their lives, um, they have their favorite IDE. It changes some of that text, you know, different colors to represent things. And you can see the very likeness over in, in Pliant, but it's represented as a full UI where you can see the loops and the trees that you would use rather than just changing colors to indicate certain things. Uh, and this provisioning, uh, I assume, you know, I can bring a device on board, but then can I get it to get an IP and and, and install configuration, that kind of thing? How, how deep can I get here? Well, I think if we go back to the IDE for a minute, Pliant is a development platform. So whatever steps you have in your process today, we can replicate those programmatically. So the answer is yes to, to what you just said, but we're going to do that through a series of drag and drop blocks. And then we can continue on with day one and day two, right? We can always go back and evaluate the the status of that device um, through any of those methods to figure out if it's uh, compliant. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about day one, day two, uh, we interact with other technologies, which is another great thing about Pliant. Um, we support just a broad width or breadth of vendors. Uh, so maybe we go to something like ServiceNow and we check what the the actual versioning of the things should be. And then mm-hmm. we check the field switches themselves and try to fix that automatically. And can I use this for you know managing config drift or updating uh, network OSs, for example? Absolutely. Yep. So we want to store those golden configs somewhere. It could be in GitHub, could be in, you can even use ServiceNow for this. We've seen customers do that. And then we want to weekly, monthly, whatever, review our groups of switches and routers and things like that to make sure they're running the correct configs, that the, the config is not drifted, things like that. Absolutely. That's a security feature as well as, you know, as well as a, a dark overlord of the network. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. But I mean, that's increasingly that config drift and configuration is now a security. And increasingly, it's also becoming an insurance issue 
because insurance companies are saying, I need you to know what's actually going on. And if the network changes, it becomes an auditing. So are you adding auditing functionality and capabilities in there? We really are. Let's go back to the IDE, right? We're a very hmm. easy to use development platform. So if that's the right. direction you want to take client, uh, you you are welcome to do that. Uh, we right. we have some samples, but you're you're the ultimate driver of how that automation or orchestration is going to look like. Right, and so the same thing would apply to asset management and configuration management. You, you do, that's all the natural function of your platform. It's just a question of getting some automations together or some orchestrations together that would do that for me. It could, it's my choice. Absolutely, and and it'll bring us back to you know the breadth and width of the client platform. Another thing that our customers use us for is trying to determine uh, a source of truth. I, I always joke. One of our largest customers, I asked them, "How many sources of truth do you have for the network?" And they said nine. And I said, "How do you have <laughs> nine sources of truth?" Um, you know, and arguably, pr proponents of the network would say the network itself is the source of truth, and the database is simply the representation of that source of truth. Um, but because we support so many different technologies, so many different databases, so many asset management systems through our API integrations, we're able to uh, really pull together a list for them. And then we go to something like um, Infoblox and we see, hey, Infoblox, do, did you really hand out an IP address to this particular device? Because uh -huh. it's probably one of the closest sources of truth, right? Right. So let's uh, go through a second use case if we could. I'm thinking something like you know VM creation, which is a, a fairly standard task in an organization. Uh, that does require some work on the back end for network engineers. You know, you've got to add it to the network. It needs an IP address. It needs observability. Maybe there's firewall rule changes that need to happen. How does um, Pliant help me with that task? Absolutely. I mean, part of the intellectual property of Pliant is our ability to pull in any API. So we support all the different firewall platforms. And if we don't support that platform, you're allowed to submit a ticket to us as part of your subscription and you will we will get that API in there. So you have those drag and drop blocks to, uh, to actually provision that. Uh, we started a, a, a number of years ago and we'd ask a team, you know, how long does it take to actually create a virtual machine? And they would say, uh, you know, eight or nine days. And everyone at the table would object to that, right? Like it only uh -huh. takes a minute to get an IP. It only takes five minutes to spend it up. But the handoff of that ticket prior to doing automation was, you know, there were gaps all the time. And we have the ability to interact with either cloud or, or something on-prem like uh, VMware OpenStack. We have the ability to go get it, put it in the right network, give it the right IP, generate the right DNS name, and you know, get that lodged into InfoBlox or some tool like that, put it in a, a CMDB because it's now a corporate asset. And then we mm. can put it in whatever you use for observability, right? Your monitoring platform as well. Right. I think that's, you know, calling out the basic difference between automation, which could be sort of, you know, single use scripts and orchestration, which is I have to do a series of tasks across a variety of platforms or domains, and they have to happen in the right order at the right time. And we go back to that visual representation, right? It all looks the same. So it's no longer I have to have one guy coding to, to this technology and someone else coding to that and try to stitch those together. They can all live in that workflow. Yeah. I was thinking about these days when you put a rule into an application firewall, you also have to go and tell the scene and then you might have to go to some third party service and tell the third party, you know, nowadays we export a lot of records off. Uh, I'm thinking about companies who have external socks and things like that. There's just so much configuration work that happens these days that would really improve from automate from orchestration, just being done automatically Add a rule. All these other things happen. Access lists get updated, firewall config, scene devices, and so on. 
And then you add in something like chat ops, right? Making sure that gets echoed back so the whole team knows that this is going on. I mean, there are two fears we've seen in the automation world. One is blast radius, right? How many devices will my automation affect? The other is just the the lack of visibility of automation, right? Like, how do I know it worked? How do you know, Dave, that that's going to work every day? Um, you know, once you've done it for a little while, it becomes almost second nature. You know, when it fails, you're just absolutely shocked. But to get started, a lot of times people need to to understand that this is going to work for them. I want to I want to challenge you on something uh, as part of the prep. I was you know studying up on the product, and you're saying here uh, on your website, maximum turnaround for a new API is just 15 days. Uh, that's a big claim. How how are you doing that so quickly? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, it's part of our intellectual property, and we, we've designed a series of parsers and scrapers and things that allow us to take different API documentation sources. I mean, Open API is super, super simple, but we have SOAP parsers and HTML documentation parsers. We have the ability to parse and bring in the API endpoints themselves in those blocks and also the documentation that the vendor will supply right along with it so that when you want to build that workflow, everything you need to do is right there. And are you able to expose these workflows or playbooks? I don't know how do you refer to them. Uh, uh, sort of like a catalog for a network engineer to come in and say, "I need to do X, Y, and Z task." Oh, here's the you know the the, the workflows I need to run. We are we uh, very much like Ansible has Galaxy. We have a, a library, a site called hub.pliant.io that you can go and see those sample ones. Mm -hmm. um, as I build workflows, they can become part of the Pliant library that others can use. Uh, very easily. Okay. So if I built a workflow, and I think it's good. I can share it with other client users. Absolutely. You can. Hmm. Not only that, we have two other features in the, in the application. One is a full-on API gateway. So right after you drag and drop those blocks without writing a single line of code, you can publish your automation as an API endpoint itself through the API gateway. And again, without writing any lines of code, we also have a small UI in there. So if you want to publish it as a tile that someone pushes, you know, I need to update something. I, I want to just push a tile. I'm not programmatic. You can do that as well. Um, so my my thinking about this is that I would use this on-prem, but can I also use it uh, since you're API driven in the public cloud to, you know, run automations in the public cloud? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, you know, we're talking about VM creation and we don't really care whether that's on-prem VMware or OpenStack or if that's Azure, AWS, GCP, um, because we are API driven, really where that workload lives, it, it, we we have the blocks, the API endpoints and the automation to build whatever you want. Okay. And speaking of cloud, is this delivered as SaaS? Is this something that I run on-prem? How is it deployed to me? We can deploy either. So we can deploy on-prem, we can deploy in the cloud or a hybrid model where we have the what we call remote workers that get delivered on-prem. They connect back uh, via SSL to the cloud is in the hybrid model. Uh, so you can set it up however you need to for the environment you're, you're working in. Okay, so one last thing before we wrap. Um, you know, folks are sort of concerned about automation running wild. So is there any kind of... Uh, control over the system regarding which engineers get to use uh, specific automations? Absolutely. So we are a full-on platform for development, and we have very granular role-based access control. Oh, okay. uh, that can drive all the way down to an API endpoint itself. So a lot of times when you're dealing with endpoints or APIs, uh, API security will allow you either all or nothing. With inside the client platform, you can limit engineers to just list this or create this, but not delete something. 
uh, it brings up one more thought of mine just as we close out. Um, you can actually bring your own scripts and control those via the role-based access. So what I mean by that is uh, you can okay. bring your playbooks. You can bring your Python scripts. You can bring your PowerShell. Those will fit right into a block. So you don't have to rewrite the current automation you have to fit inside a low-code platform. Hmm. Smooth, okay. smooth onboarding. Smoother onboarding. It means you can come from where you are and get to where you're going quite quicker without having to throw everything away or stuff. Absolutely. I'd never argue that drag and drop is faster than the stuff you've already written. <laughs> so yeah, but it's folks... faster than the next stuff you're going to write. That's the, that's the key. Exactly. <laughs> uh, David, folks want to get more information then about Pliant, where should they go? Yeah, you can come find us at pliant.io slash packet pushers, uh, or we're on the web. We also have a YouTube channel as well. Okay, that's pliant.io slash packet pushers. Uh, we'll also have other links in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Uh, thank you, Dave, and thank you, Philippe, uh, for joining us. And thanks to Pliant for being a sponsor. As always, thank you for being a listener. If you like this episode, there are many more fine, free technical podcasts and our community blog and our free Slack channel. It's all at packetpushers.net. Uh, you can hear us on Spotify. And if you would, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.